Thank you for listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit our website, centurybaptist.org, or download the Century Baptist Church app. Amen. Father, uh, this morning, uh, all of these songs that we've sung to you uh, have, we trust, Father, been from our heart, proclaiming the greatest truth that we can, that you are God and I am not. That you are the God that does great things and no one else. That your Son, Jesus Christ, is the only Savior of the world. I'm not. And that, Holy Spirit, you are an incredible power that reveals to us who the Father is and the Son You convict us. You draw us closer to Yourself. We give You great praise. May You work now in the next few moments as we take a look at this beautiful Word that You've given to us. Help us to apply it to our lives. In Your name, Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, everybody. There's there's really nothing more humbling than to be kicked off the platform by the guitar player. Before some of you didn't see it because you're good Christians and your heads were bowed in prayer, and I thought we were done because I asked them before the service. Now, when do I come up? Because there's all there's the, there's the the stack of papers that Ethan prints every week, uh, order of service, and in all my years of being here, I've keep forgetting to grab one. So I just trust on somebody's nod, and nobody gave me the nod, so I thought they were wrong. Humbling. Uh. I don't know about you, but um, the inner workings of the human body are a complete mystery to me. Uh, I don't fully understand how things work. I, I don't. It it baffles me. It, it, uh, I'm I'm actually absolutely intrigued in knowing that that our bodies do what they do, and we don't even have to think about it. Every step that we take, it's. I'm not telling myself that now. Now right. Now left. I probably should. But uh, they're just stuff that, that we do. We don't even know we're doing it. Constantly here in the office, you know, uh, Gail or Sharon will say to me, man, I, thanks for singing. I love your singing. I'm like, I, I was singing? Right? I mean, I, we just don't even know why we do what we, what we do. I was reading about um, uh, the sympathetic nervous system in our bodies. Not because it's interesting to me, but I found that it pertains to today's message. I know very little about it. Here's what I do know about it. That it's a line of communication that God has created us with that connects the brain to the heart. Uh, and we, what we would, most of the time, we call it our fight or flight instinct. That when our brain gets overloaded with information that causes fear, or, or we sense that we're in danger, or maybe even just worry about things, and that's going on in our brain, all of a sudden, uh, our body starts to sweat. Our blood vessels constrict. Oxygen isn't getting to the heart the way that it needs to. The heart starts to pump faster, and we start breathing heavier. There's a direct connection between our brains uh, and our hearts. And we can cause our hearts to do things just by thinking about other things, things that we're fearful of or things that maybe are a danger to us. 
If they're out of balance, the brain and the heart, it's incredibly dangerous to us. When we talk about the heart from a biblical perspective, we're not talking about the muscle that, that pounds. We're talking about really the seat of our emotions. It's our, our soul and the depths. And, but what we could say is it's really the same thing. What goes on in our minds impacts what goes on in our soul. And, and we need to definitely have the two of those connected because if we just let our lives be controlled by knowledge and it actually doesn't sink in and have any impact on our soul, well, then all that knowledge is just pointless. Actually, what Jesus says is it just leads you uh, further away from Him. It leads you to uh, destruction. God designed us to be at our peak performance when our minds and our hearts are healthy and working together. When we take what we know and we actually allow it to sink deep into our souls, like just now as a choir we're singing these songs, the words that we know and the words that we're singing, actually they mean something to us. And, and it starts this cycle of my heart's big. I'm falling more in love with God the more I proclaim the truths about him. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 8 is talking to a group of young believers, this church in Corinth, and there's a debate that's going on in the church about whether or not it's okay to eat meat that's been sacrificed to false idols. And, and ultimately what Paul says, kind of, he just says, food's food. Right? It's just food. Those gods don't exist. He says, and I know some of you have that knowledge. You understand, those gods don't even exist, so what's the big deal if I eat this food? It, it, it's been maybe offered up to a false god, but that god's false, so again, it's just food. Eat it. However, he says, but there are also those of you that have the knowledge that, that it's been used for evil purposes, the intention of the one that's been sacrificing it, and so you say, don't eat it. And so there's this argument, what do we do? Are we allowed to or are we not allowed to? And Paul says, you're, you're missing the point altogether. He says, how about this? How about instead of thinking about yourself, how about you think of others? What is, what's their opinion of it? What do they think about it? Is it going to lead them away from growing in me and in Christ? And if that's the case, then just avoid it. Because what matters more than your knowledge, he says... Knowledge, he says, just puffs up. We all know that, right? It seems as though that the, the more knowledge people get, the, sm the smarter that they think they are, the more rude they become, right? That's the world that we're living in today. As technology advances, information is at our fingertips. It seems like the people who, who gain the most information are the biggest jerks in the world. That's just my opinion. But it's true. But Paul, Paul says, have you ever connected your brain with your heart, your knowledge with actual grace and mercy and love toward other people? You all have a lot of knowledge, but do you care about the lives of others? Because if you do, it'll change the way that you act, the way that you think. The heart will change the mind. And the mind will change the heart. So he says in chapter 13, he says, If I understand all mysteries, and if I have all of the knowledge in the world, but, but I don't have love, then I'm not. He says, I am nothing. 
He goes on to say, all you are, with all that knowledge, is you're just a loud, clanging gong. You irritate people. They want to get away from you. In our text today, what we're going to find is Jesus addressing the fact that knowledge and love have got to go hand in hand because it is vital to our eternity. I'm, I, want to, uh, I want us to look today at Matthew 12, 22 to 32, but um, I, I realized in, uh, in our first service that, that if I were to just read through all of it, there's a lot in here today, and I don't want to lose people, so I'm just going to have you just kind of follow along kind of verse by verse, and I want to explain some things to you. And so uh, understanding this, uh, this is what, how, how this text begins. Verse 22, it says, A demon-oppressed man was blind and mute, was brought to Jesus. Jesus healed him so that the man was able to speak again, and he saw. And all the people were amazed and said, Could this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It's only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Jesus, I love what's going to happen. It's going to get a, a whole lot deeper and Jesus has a lot of response to uh, the way that the Pharisees responded uh, to his work and what it is that he had done. But I want to start, but before we getting into, getting into all of that, of just acknowledging the fact that Jesus begins, that he leads this whole thing with mercy, with love. That's where he starts in all of this. Matthew doesn't go into a whole lot of detail because by now we're about seven or eight chapters into the ministry of Jesus and over and over again he's doing these incredible things. But I don't ever want us to, to, to poo-poo it and to not look highly upon it. Jesus drove out the demon in a man and allowed him to have sight again and was able to speak again. That is our king. That is Jesus. That is, that is the power that he has. Not just It's one thing if he could just heal a man's blindness. It's another thing that if he can add to it that he can now make somebody who's not able to speak to speak. But it is a whole nother thing that he has the power over a demon that is oppressing this man in this way that Jesus just speaks and away go the power of, goes the power of darkness. Matthew now, uh, that, that's not even the, the, the point of this text today. And it almost is like a, just an opening thought. Oh, and by the way, Jesus healed another person. That should blow us away. Matthew doesn't, he doesn't go into it at all. I, I'm, I'm the kind of person, I could lose a shoe and I could give you details for 20 minutes about that dumb story because that I want you to know. Matthew just says, know this. Again, you know who Jesus is. He drove out a demon. He freed somebody. He cared about him. And Jesus, we see the responses. There are some who are confused and they start asking questions. Could this be the son of David? Could this be the Christ? And you've got then the enemies of Jesus, these religious leaders that want him dead and gone. And, and they start proclaiming that the way that he does this is through the power of, uh, of Satan in his life. And it says Jesus knows what they're thinking. But here's the greatest thing about all this, and I need this. Because as disciples of Jesus Christ, we're called to model him, to imitate him at all times. And, and one of the greatest ways that we can begin with that is we've got to stop caring about the opinions of people. 
When it comes to caring for others and showing mercy and love and loving on people in the name of Jesus Christ, the world is not going to to understand it. They're not going to look highly upon it. But we can't care about all the things that people are going to say about us and think about us. Oh, you really shouldn't help a person like that. Well, you don't know their backstory as to how they got that way. You don't know how he might have got himself into that trouble. You don't know that if you heal him, Jesus, that if he's really going to appreciate it and make the most of it, he could go right back to the way that he was living ahead of time. If you heal him, right now he's blind and he can't speak. He's a beggar. He's depending upon people. If you heal him, he's got no more income. Right? There's all these reasons why he should not have healed the person. Jesus doesn't care about the opinions of people. He just says, there's a guy who has need, and I have the ability to free him, to give him what he needs. That's what Jesus constantly calls us to. He says, be merciful as your heavenly Father is merciful. And as he taught his disciples, he said, if you have the ability to care for somebody, if they have a need and you have what they need, if they need a cloak and you have two, give them both, right? Jesus says, if you have what they need, then do it. And he leads by example and says, this man needs a demon driven out of him and I'm the only one that can do it because I'm the only one who has power over darkness. And he heals him. And everybody's jaws dropped Jesus cared so much more about the hearts of people than He did the opinion of the masses. That's the Jesus that I want to follow. That's the Jesus that I want to model in my life. And then it causes Jesus to respond then to the naysayers. There's the first group that that begin to ask the question, could this be the Son of David? Could this be the promised Messiah that we've read about? Our entire lives. A better translation actually is they were asking, hey, this wouldn't happen to be the Savior, would it? Is it possible that this guy could actually be, from what he's done, the Messiah? It should cause him to want to know more, to follow him deeper. We could all learn... A lesson from this, James' words in his second chapter of his book that he just says, "Um, I'll show you my faith by what I do. The door has been opened. Jesus' miracle allowed the opportunity for people to ask the questions. Who is this man? It's a great application for us. That, That I don't know about you, but I don't think that in this day and age that just barging into somebody's house, a neighbor's house, say, what are you doing over here? Well, I've come to, to spew some knowledge on you about all the things that I know about God. They're like, nah, that's okay. But, but if you come over and you just say, I'm, just, I'm here to help. I'm here to serve. I know that you as a family have a need and, and I want to help meet it. It opens the door then for then you to be able to, to show Jesus, but then also to share. To show your faith by what you do. The other response that that now leads us into Jesus' uh, reaction and the words that he says to the Pharisees comes from their questioning of his identity. And it wasn't even questioning. They made statements about it. They were, we know about the Pharisees, right? They're prideful. They're egotistical. They're the ones they want to be in charge and rule. And Jesus is threatening that. 
And they refused to allow it to happen. Their hearts were absolutely hardened. They were unwilling to admit that the works that Jesus was doing was by the hand of God Himself. And so they have to make sure that the crowd doesn't believe that He's a Messiah. So they start saying, well, you know that the work that He's doing is only by the hand of of the devil himself. This man is possessed by the devil himself. Just for some understanding, their, their response is, it is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man casts out demons. Beelzebul, uh, we find mentioned uh, in, at the very beginning of, of the book of 2 Kings. Uh, there's a, uh, a new king in Israel, didn't follow after God, uh, but he followed Baal, uh, false god. Uh, just like his father um, and mother. His mother uh, was, had a name, we all know her, her name is Jezebel. And so um, this new king, uh, Ahaziah, is now on the throne. And it's a crazy beginning to one of the books of the Bible. Second Kings, you open it up and it says that he is now uh, the king. And his first act as king was he fell out of the upstairs window and, and landed outside and was dying. Uh, and um, he calls together all of his servants. And he said, I need to know if I'm going to be healed or I need to know if I'm going to die. So I need you to inquire of Beelzebul. Go and ask him to find out what my future is. Uh, Beelzebub was uh, the, the god of the Pharisees, or the Philistines, excuse me, the god of the Philistines, uh, the arch nemesis of the Jewish people throughout the Old Testament. So, so we see what the Pharisees are doing here. They're saying he acts under the power of Beelzebub. In other words, like the, we're trying to think of the worst possible application, the worst possible illustration that we can give, the worst possible insult that we can give to make everybody turn against Jesus. And so we're saying that, that he's under the power of our worst and greatest enemies in all of history. That name Beelzebub actually means Lord of the Flies. Um, he, uh, he was known as... Among other things, he was the God that, that oversaw when um, sacrifices were made to other false gods. Beelzebub would come, they would say, and he would shoo the flies away from the dead meat that was there on the altar. Which then also meant that since he was Lord of the Flies, his office uh, was among the flies out in the dung piles. Do you see the insult? that they're making about the Savior. As how low can we possibly paint a picture of Him uh, to everyone around us? This man uh, is under the power of Beelzebul, the prince of demons. Over time, because Beelzebul was considered to be really one of the, the filthiest, worst demons that were out there, and, and, and gods, false gods, that the, the Jewish people adopted that as really terminology and a name for Satan himself. Because how, how, how could you explain uh, Satan being any lower than the God of the dung heap, right? And, and those that make their lives among it and multiply among that. And so 
by the time it gets to the Pharisees here, it's, they're really one and the same. This man operates under the power of Satan. That's the work that he's doing. But Jesus calls their bluff. And I love how he does it. Living into the promise, the truth, as Isaiah 42 talked about that Pastor Ethan preached on last week. Is he doesn't come with quarreling and fighting. He doesn't come with anger. He just explains to them in the next number of verses through common sense, logic, and basic illustration as to why it would be impossible for him to be acting under the power of Satan and from what they had to say, what it says about their hearts and about their eternity. So Jesus responds, Every kingdom divided against itself, verse 25, is laid waste. No city or house divided against itself can stand. If Satan were to cast out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? If I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it's by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he binds, first binds the strong man? Then indeed, he can plunder his house. There's a number of illustrations in there where Jesus is just saying, let me tell you why it's foolishness for you to say and proclaim that I'm at work under the power of, of Satan. He says, your logic is weak. A kingdom divided against itself can't stand. It's going to falter. But Satan's job is to expand his kingdom in the world by bringing people down and oppressing them. Jesus is saying, if I worked for Satan, if I was under his power, why in the world would I go and try to destroy the work that he's trying to do? No kingdom, if there's internal fighting, it's just going to blow up. So why in the world would I be doing that kind of work? If his kingdom is going to be enlarged by taking over this man's life, why would I rescue this man if I worked for him? Then he makes it personal. He says, if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, he said, then explain to me how your sons are doing it. What he means is your disciples, those that follow after you. If, if you're claiming that, that the way to cast out demons is through the power of Satan, then, well, that's not saying much about your boys. But Actually, I believe that Jesus is actually taking a little bit deeper. He's not trying to insult them, but he's trying to really hit home. If you remember at the beginning of chapter 12, when, when Jesus and his disciples are walking through the, the grain fields on the Sabbath, remember? They extend their hands, they take some handfuls of grain, nothing wrong with that, and they eat it, and the, the Pharisees come running. And they don't yell at the disciples for eating the grain. Who do they yell at? They yell at Jesus. They yell at their leader. Look, we, can, we can maybe excuse what, what your sons, your disciples, your followers are doing, but they're following your example. You're supposed to be the good leader. So if they're breaking the law, well, this is all on you. Well, what Jesus does now, he says, look, if your sons, 
If you believe that the way you drive out demons is through Satan and your sons are doing it, man, what is that saying about you as their leader? That you also are under that power. They would have gotten absolutely furious. He wasn't trying to be mean-spirited. He's just trying to get them to, to get over themselves. Actually allow their hearts to be open to what it is that they're seeing. And to actually accept it and receive it. Their heads and their hearts had a disconnect. Jesus says, if, if I do my work by the power of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. And He now concludes this conversation with them by, I, I say that He dominated rebellion. And not just dominated, but He dominates it. Goes on to say, How can somebody enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever's not with me is against me. Whoever doesn't gather with me scatters. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people. But the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. If I do my work, Jesus says, by the power of God, then what that means is that the kingdom of God has come upon you. It just makes sense. He's already said, look, he's proved the point. Obviously, I'm, I'm not working for the enemy because of what I am doing. So that only leaves one option. I'm working for God. I'm here to expand His kingdom. If, if what I'm doing is for God and I'm here to expand the kingdom, then I'm answering their question. I am the Messiah, really, is, is what He's proclaiming. I am the promised Son of David. Because how can Satan's kingdom be overpowered unless... He gets bound first. And who has the power to bind to go in and plunder his kingdom? Jesus is saying, I do. That's who I am. I work under the power of God. And his power is the Holy Spirit active within me. He's filled with the Spirit in what he does. And he says, I've come to establish God's kingdom. I'm the only one with the power to strip Satan of his reign. 1 John 3.8 says, for this reason the Son of God came, that He would destroy the works of the devil. So then Jesus addresses their contempt for Him. Whoever's not with me is obviously against me. Because we are here on this earth uh, to expand the kingdom of Christ. To tell others about Him. To go and to make disciples. And if, if you are not with me in this then you are obviously against me. You're claiming to be my enemy. Your arrogance is really what he's saying, is causing you to intentionally hinder the progress of the growth of the kingdom of God. Galatians 5, Paul talks about, he kind of gives this list of, of the works of the flesh, the fruit of the flesh. 
He says it's envy, dissension, rivalry, division. And in verse 21, he says, those who do these things will never inherit the kingdom of God. So Paul says, so you got to be led by the Spirit. Let Him bear good fruit in your life. Not just this empty knowledge that creates envy and dissension and division. So stop, Paul says. You allow yourself to be dragged down. And all you have to show for it are all of these things. Then you're hindering the expansion of the kingdom and your end will be destruction. Jesus gives a a stern yet a really gracious warning. He says, look, every sin will be forgiven of people. That's why He came. That's what the cross does. That's what His death on the cross does is, is that when we understand what Jesus did in laying down His life, we see the magnitude of the holiness of God and our sinfulness. It brings us to our knees in humble repentance. And we just say, Jesus, thank you for what it is that you've done for me. Thank you for relieving me of of a lifetime and an eternity of separation from God and drawing me in through what it is that you have done for me. Jesus says, every sin will be forgiven of people. Even words spoken against me, he says. There's always the opportunity for repentance when you understand who God is and when the Holy Spirit brings conviction in your life and draws you to the Father and you come before that cross, there is always room for forgiveness when repentance is there. He said, however, there's one thing that's unforgivable and that is irreverent defiance against the Holy Spirit. Now understand this. In Jesus' day, um, there there isn't uh, an understanding as of yet of the doctrine of the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three in one, all equal. Um, And so when Jesus says, you can blaspheme you can speak ill against the Son of Man, and that can be forgiven. But if you speak ill against the Holy Spirit, he's not saying that the Holy Spirit is up here and the Son of Man is down here. What he's saying is, is exactly what these men have done. They're, they're, they're refusing to accept who Jesus is because they are turning a blind eye to the power of God at work in Jesus. And that's what the Holy Spirit's role is. The Holy Spirit's role is to reveal to us everything that we need to know about the Father and about the Son, about our own sinfulness, about what it is that He desires of us. 2 Peter 1.21 says, The writing of Scripture was because men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. In Judges, we read that the Holy Spirit enabled men to do works of great power. When Jesus was baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon Him like a dove, proclaiming what? This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. It's the role of the Holy Spirit to bring revelation of who Christ is to each and every one of us, to help us to understand who God is, what He desires of us. 
in Acts, the Holy Spirit came upon that early, early church there in Jerusalem so they could proclaim in other languages the gospel to reveal Jesus to others. That's his role. The power of God to reveal Christ to the world. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2, we impart to you or teach you the wisdom of God that can only be revealed through the Holy Spirit. We've got Scripture that we read that's been given by the Holy Spirit to men to write down, and now it's been given to us. And Scripture says that the only way that we actually can understand this is that the Holy Spirit reveals it to us. The deeper things that we read, and we, I don't understand what it, what it means. I can tell you this because I know myself. The only reason that a goofball like me can stand up here and open up the Word and proclaim what this means is not because I studied really hard. It's not because I'm a really smart person or I went to school for this. The only reason that I can open up Scripture and I can proclaim it is because the Holy Spirit has given me the words that I'm to proclaim and the words that you hear in your mind that go into your heart are really not even the words that I'm speaking. It's what the Holy Spirit is telling you and revealing to you and convicting you of as I speak it. That's the role of who He is and what He does. Now take that just for a minute. Okay, put that on the shelf. The role of the Holy Spirit. And I just want to take you back to, you don't have to turn here, but in Numbers chapter 15, um, God is giving His people uh, laws on how they should live. And He's talking about uh, sins that, that we don't even realize that we're, that we're, that we're doing. Right? It's just, uh, the unconscious sins. But then He talks about conscious sins. And He says in verse 30 of Numbers 15, if a person does anything with a high hand, reviles the Lord. A high hand means with a fist to heaven. Right? Objecting against God. Knows what they're supposed to do and directly shakes their fists at God and says, I don't believe that that comes from you. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm not going to obey. God says he'll be cut off because he what? He despised the word of the Lord. He despised the revelation that was given him. And that's what blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is. It's to, it's to, to receive the truth. To know that it's true. To bear witness to the truth. And maliciously and willfully and intentionally reject and contradict it. To have a high hand against the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's exactly what the Pharisees are doing. They have seen beyond a shadow of a doubt the power of God at work. Over and over again, people are being healed that can only be done by the power of God and their, their ego and their pride, their head knowledge doesn't sink down to their heart and they refuse it. And, and they will not allow the revelation of Christ into their life and their pride and their ego is so large that they, they attribute that power to Satan. And Jesus says that is unforgivable. Your heart, your heart is so hard that, that it's impossible for you to even come to repentance. 
because you're so full of yourself, you've already made the decision that you will not allow the Holy Spirit to do a work in your life. And so rather than blame yourself, you just blame the Holy Spirit for actually being the power of the enemy. You have a heart that refuses to be humble. As a pastor, there are a lot of people that they want to know. Especially as a young, like a teenager, I wanted to know, man, so if that's unforgivable, um, I gotta, am I guilty of that? i got to check my life. Have I, have I ever done that? And here's what I will say to you. Because every commentator, every theologian that writes about this says the same thing. If you are asking that question, then don't worry about it. Because if you're asking the question, the Holy Spirit is revealing the truth to you and you're wondering about it. Your heart is not hard. You're willing. You're desiring to be freed from that so you don't have to worry about that. Those that are guilty of it are those that are like the Pharisees who absolutely reject God and reject God's power and attribute it all to the enemy. It's not about words spoken. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is a hard heart that absolutely rejects God at work. Romans 2.5 Do you despise the riches of the goodness of God? A hard and impenitent heart only stores up wrath on the day of judgment. But Paul says in that passage, he says, God's kindness is there to lead you to repentance. His mercy is there to to lead you to repentance. The Holy Spirit is there to draw you to Himself, to lead you to repentance. And a repentant heart is a forgiven heart. An unrepentant heart, Jesus says, will be driven away from Him forever. Paul says those who are self-seeking, those who are intentionally rebellious will be destroyed. Jesus is the King of our hearts. Whether you accept Him or not, He's King. He proves it over and over again with power over darkness. God at work in Him. God also is Jesus. The life of His that we meticulously are studying to show is that He's King, sent by God, and He's doing the work of God. All through the power of the Spirit to reveal Himself to those that He revealed Himself to, but also to us. Give Him glory, give Him honor, give Him what He deserves. Your heart and your mind. Surrender to Him. Let's pray. God, You are so good. I think about that, God, that statement. You are so good. You're good all the time, but I think for myself, You're good especially when I'm not. When I'm in such a desperate need of, of assurance that, that I'm loved, that I'm cared for, that I'm forgiven, that you did send your son to die for me, for this world, even in our rebellion. Father, I pray desperately for those today in this world that have seen your work and have turned their back on it, have rejected it, have 
made claims that it's something else. Father, help us. Help us as your children to passionately pursue you, to run hard after you, to allow the Holy Spirit to reveal himself to us in every way possible so that we can go out from here and in the power of the Spirit, we can reveal Jesus to others. Thank you, Jesus, for grace, mercy, forgiveness. Thanks for how much you love. Help us to love like you do us. Amen.